Hey guys, Moses here. This episode contains explicit accounts of child rape, torture, and murder at the hands of Gil Duray, which may be offensive to some listeners. So this episode is intended for mature audiences only. So with that being said, here's Gil Duray, part four, the horror at Tifuge. As Duray moved from castle to castle, from Majikul to Tifuge, the sinister enterprise of finding children for Duray became more calculated and sophisticated. A common occurrence in serial killings, but in Duray's case, many of his accomplices took pleasure in the sadistic orgies. Gills had many opportunities to participate in his deranged amusement, right at his chateaus. 15th century French nobility practiced charity. Food and money was dispersed to the poor all day at the gates of the castles to commemorate weddings, great days of the church, births, deaths, and the like. To satisfy his perverse craving, Duray would select the most delicious child waiting for a gold coin. Stroking his penis, he ordered the child to be brought to him. The young child was told that if he entered the castle, he would receive meat and cakes to take back to his family. As soon as he set foot in the castle, the little one was jumped. A cloth was quickly stuffed into his mouth, his wrists and ankles bound with leather cords. Duray's accomplices carried the victim to his bedroom or to a secret underground chamber, depending on the castle, where the child would be kept until Duray was ready to ravish him. Roger and Gil DeSale loved to help in choosing which unsuspecting child would be most suited for DeRay. Soon, others would participate in the selection process as well. If DeRay or anybody else saw two children together, brother and sisters, boys or girls, and he only fancied one, he still seized and killed both, so that the remaining youngster would not be able to identify DeRay as the monster that he was. And I'm just, <laughs> and then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait! I have something for him. Boom! You get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The weird history and eerie tales podcast. Concentrate on the news. That's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FYI, there's nothing wrong. Fucking rage. Hurry up. Let's do it. Fucking oh. rage. <sighs> All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Weird History Retails Podcast. I am your host, Moses Soria, and sitting to my left is my brother, Josh. Yo. And then sitting directly in front of me <laughs> is Archie. That's so nonchalant, yo. Yo. You, you ain't excited about this. I'm not. Gee, well, I mean. What time did you go to sleep? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but would you be excited on what he's going to be talking about today? It's horrible. You're depressing. It is. Depressing. Fuck. So today's going to be a really heavy episode really heavy Get in there. but before we start as always today's episode wouldn't have been possible without valerie ogden's Bluebeard, brave warrior brutal psychopath jack smith's the horrific crimes of gilderay 
and a quick shout out to Amazon Prime's Secret of History Gills DeRay documentary. So last episode, we covered how desperate DeRay was to regain his fortune. He was swindled over and over and over and over again when he came trying to find the Philosopher's Stone and again when he said, fuck it, and tried to make a deal with the devil. We were introduced to Francisco Perlati, the gorgeous Satanist who became DeRay's lover, and we left off with DeRay not only making a pact to kill five children to speak with the devil, but he and the rest of the Scooby-Doo gang actually fell in love with the act of kidnapping, raping, and torturing children. So today we're going to get into horrible detail with the rape and murder of children. So for the faint of heart, I warn you because we will get graphic. So here's Gilderay Part 4, The Horror at Tifuge. Are you ready? So in the villages near Duray's castle, his henchmen would frequently get off their horses, would, put, would pat a child on the head, well aware that they were about to abuse this child beyond belief. They would speak kindly to their parents, mentioning that one as attractive as the little one should be living a far better life. And we're going to find out this happens over and over again. And this is kind of shitty of your parent. You're poor, a rich person comes into your house and they're like, hey, you have a pretty child. Can I take him with me? A lot of these people said yes. That is fucked up. I mean, it wasn't just a random rich person. It's true. But it was just, you know, that's, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, of course. Killed the ray. That's true. So it got so bad that it wasn't weird at all if one would see barefoot children heading toward DeRay's castle with Roger or Dezil. And the fucked up part was that the families were excited that the young child could be so fortunate, so blessed. Not only was a child about to have a life they could never imagine, but now they had one less mouth to feed. Families would happily give their children to DeRay's men, who were all dressed and rode beautifully in gorgeous steeds. They understood that the child would prosper from their employment with the great Lord DeRay. And these are some of the examples. A widow from the area of Mashikul pinched for money, readily handed over her child to Corliute after he told her child would become DeRay's page and be clad in fancy clothing. Another needy mother, Yvonne Kergen, the widow of a stonecutter, gladly entrusted the Corliute her delicately featured 15-year-old son, never to see her son again. Another time, a very poor couple living in a towny town proudly let them take their child away from them. They would pay them two to three crowns for the children. So DeRay saw this as a sport. He would spot a child, chase him, and ultimately trap them. It was too easy for DeRay and his group of monsters to snatch a child at the castle gates or its surroundings. They looked forward to a more cruel form of entertainment. So after an evening of heavy drinking and feasting, they would make their way into the countryside. They would hunt for victims in these locations. DeRay would go nuts. He would be st stupid excited watching the young child try and outrun the group of drunken perverts as they chased him on horse. He loved it even more if the child would struggle after being caught. The child was then gagged, thrown into a sack, or sometimes they were just tied up and brought to the castle for the disgusting slaughter. Good-looking, curly-haired young shepherds turned out to be DeRay's favorite. None of us are curly-haired, so we'd be, we'd, we be, we'd be good. But if the shepherds could not be found, other youths became the desired targets. One cold afternoon late in December, a mother sent her two, her two, her two sons, 
aged 15 and 7, off to buy bread, but they never returned. Another time, an orphan called Jamais, 8 years old, vanished outside his home. Months later, another very shy 13-year-old could not be found after his tutor left him alone at bedtime. No child was safe from Duray's reach, as he even hired old homeless women to lure innocents to his castles as his urges increased. One particularly ghoulish piece of shit was named Perrine Martine. Damn. It's, it's hide your kids, hide your wife type of thing. Well, not even hide your wife. It's just hide your kids. Hide your kids. So it didn't matter who the fuck you were. Hide your you, prettier kids. If you were poor and in the countryside, your child or if you were a child, you were in danger. So this ridiculously poor old witch was around 50 to 60 years old and lived in an old rundown cottage who survived on wild roots and berries. She was easily recruited into DeRay's service when he paid her uh, in silver for every victim. Always dressed in gray, she wore a black veil and a hood to disguise her wrinkled face. She provided more children for DeRay than anyone else involved. Her terrifying seduction was perfect. She would stealthily approach little ones trend, uh, tending to cattles or those begging for food or crying as they were lost on the roadways. She caressed them. She flattered them. Any bit of caution went out the window as they felt comfortable around her kindness, and she would then lift her veil. Perrine seemed to be a smiling little fairy to the trusting children. She would play up with their imaginations and offered beautiful descriptions and promises to spark the curiosity in the children. Their fantasies could become reality if they would take her hand as she would lead them to a life of luxury. She not only tricked young children with her convincing promises, but would also trick teens and those even in their early 20s. So this old lady, she would play her old, she would use her old age and her old, to, to disarm people, yeah. which is fucked up. I don't feel bad. If you're 20, if you're in your early 20s, and some old lady tricks you into getting killed, that's your stupid ass you fault. Pleb. That's your fault. If you're young, whatever, I understand it, whatever. But if you're in your 20s, some oh, how how is she how is she gonna overpower you? How are you not gonna ask questions if she's taking you to the race castle? You're in your 20s, like just elbow her, just bah, just hit her, clip, like it's stupid. So when the children arrived at the race castles, a nightmarish, butchery, ghoulish bloodshed, demonic destruction, sadistic slaughter awaited them. This ghastly pattern occurred 40, 80, 100, and even rumored to happen more than 700 times at Shemtus, Majikul, Nantes, Tifuge, and anywhere else DeRay practices savagery. At dusk, a child was secretly brought to DeRay's dark bedroom, where he and his friends waited impatiently. They playfully undressed the child fondled him, and forced him to take different sexual positions, all under DeRay's order. When suddenly the child was grabbed and suspended by the neck with a rope or a hook attached to a pole. His eyes bulged as he dangled a few feet off the ground in the corner of the bedroom. The terrified child would swing back and forth, long enough that his vocal cords were so damaged that he could no longer cry out. DeRay would then take the child off the hook himself, he would cradle the child in his arms, pretending 
to comfort the terrified little one. He would tell the child he had no intention on doing him any harm, that he was just playing around, making up a silly game. The infant dried his tears from his cheeks, smiling up at Duray, his protector. Just when he thought he was safe, Duray went in for the kill, first mutilating and torturing the child, then raping the corpse. Sometimes Duray would ravage his victim after the child had been taken down from the pole, but the majority of the time, the innocent victims all faced a similar fate of agony and murder. After Duray or one of his men slit the child's throat with a dagger, cut a vein in the neck with a knife, broke the neck with a club, dismember or decapitated the little one, the Duray sexually brutalized the child. He'd like to observe the maimed innocents as he methodically carved them up. Duray would get thrilled at the sight of anguish of the children, with their mangled heads and limbs hacked to pieces. He basked in the splatters of their gurgling blood. Like many of the serial killers, the moans, the suffering of his, of his victims, aroused Duray sexually. Duray pulled out the eyes of one youth, then casually crushed his skull before he had an orgasm. He smashed another boy's chest, letting him bleed to death so that he could bathe his hands and beard in the child's small cavity. Smeared with blood, Duray had an erection. His victims were also savagely thrown to the floor when they did not die quickly enough or did not exhibit enough pain to stimulate Duray. Sometimes they were just strangled. After the children were tortured, Duray regularly abused the boys and girls in the heat of the moment, in unnatural ways. First, he took his own penis in one hand, and then put it between the thighs or legs of the boys and girls, avoiding the natural organs of the girls. With great pleasure, he would rub his penis on the belly of the boys and girls and would shamefully abuse the girls in the same way as the boys. Duray's pleasure was so much greater abusing the girls rather than using their sexual organs. Sometimes the Ray would get so turned on by the gore that he would rape the child a second time as the innocent boy lay dying. In a few instances, DeRay had sex with broken, lifeless corpses. The greatest stimulation for DeRay was to feel the child's last breath and death spasms during his own orgasms. He often sat on the bodies of the mutilated children after he carved them to bits and sodomized them, then masturbating on them. Squatting on the entrails, he would lean forward, watching closely as their life faded from their eyes. Grinning, he would often make fun of them as they slowly died. In his own words, DeRay said, <clears throat> This is <laughs> this is horrible. This is getting this, this is the definition of a piece of shit. And we just started. <laughs> we just started. We're like twenty minutes into the episode. And this is what he said, and I quote. Very often, while the children were dying, I sat on their bellies and delighted in watching them die and laughed at them. As long as blood still flowed onto the floor with some life in the small body, I would remain ecstatic. The dark red stains coming from the victim's violated anuses and oozing onto their buttocks and legs mesmerized me. These are DeRay's own fucking words. How much of a sick fuck do you have to be for you to be cool with all this? He was a horrible. So if you've heard, if you've gone this far and listened to part one, part two, part three, and you've heard us mention DeRay being a piece of shit, you're like, he doesn't sound like too bad of a guy. It's like, oh, he just kills. Yeah, like he's gone to war. Yeah, sure. He's, he was poor and he tried to get, you know, talk. 
chopped it up with Satan, tried to get some wizards to get him some gold. He didn't sound like too bad of a guy. This is why we call him a piece of shit. This, he is a fucking monster. And people were cool with it. But the rape and murder of children did not provide enough sexual stimulation to satisfy the bastard DeRay. After the decapitations, DeRay would order the dismemberment of the bodies. And he would go on to say, I had their bodies cruelly opened up and delighted at the sight of their internal organs. This guy was a fucking monster. All the shit he would do, like how, how, where did you think of this shit? He would stomp on the little kid's chest so he could break open only for him to wash his hands and put it on his face. He would fucking... He loved watching them die as he came. Like, what the fuck? This is horrible. Just for a chub. DeRay beamed with excitement as he examined the splattered brains and bones of his victims and smelled their crushed genitals and entrails. Yes, he would smell their crushed genitals and entrails. And if that wasn't bad enough, a sort of macabre beauty contest immediately started after DeRay's perverted examinations of the bodies. After he changed into a spotless new robe, DeRay savored looking at the many heads of the dead children. Think of the walking dead, which were trimmed neatly at their necks. DeRay would then choose the most appealing one and had those placed on the mantle above the fireplace in his bedroom, replacing the statuettes of the saints. He would gently stroke their faces and tenderly comb their hair while saying, Just, just <laughs> seeing, just picturing that scene. You know what that reminds me of, Loki? I hope nothing. Name. I hope nothing. Yeah. There, what? There's this. I hope, I hope <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Forgot the name of the freaking movie, but what's his name? The one that played Deadpool? Ryan Reynolds? He came out in a movie where he had a mental disability and he was working at this mattress factory. And he had, and the mental disability prevented him from seeing the reality of how things were. Uh-huh. And he thought like everything's perfect and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And so um, there was one scene where he was hanging out with his crush and when they're, they're driving back home or something and they freaking hit a deer. And because he sees all these things, he hears the animals talking to him. And so he freaking, he hits his deer and the deer's like, just like on this fucking hood. He's just like, just kill me now fucking kill me now and he's like are you sure he's like yeah I'm fucking dying and so he fucking kills him and the the freaking his crush is like what the fuck and so she just takes <laughs> off so she's running she's running she's running she's running and that's the she trips she falls and homeboy still has his fucking the 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 dagger that he killed the animal with he's like oh no no don't run don't run and so he trips and he freaking stabs her in, in the chest and she dies what she, the fuck and she, he's just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And just keeps on stabbing her and stabbing and stabbing her. Oh, I, I, after the fourth stab, it's not an accident. <laughs> and so he, I'm sorry. And so he chops off her head. He takes the head with him. And then all of a sudden, you know, because of his freaking mental state, he thinks that the head talks to him. And like he talks, he has conversations with her. He has her on the table. And he's just like, oh, you know. I need to see this fucking movie. It's, what it's movie a is fucking that? trip. It's a fucking trip. So that reminds you of that mo- fucking movie. So to paint the picture of what's going on at this point, after Dre would do all this shit, so he would have these little boys and girls come up to his room. Dre, Corey Lou, 
Brickville, Gil DeSalle, and Perlotti. They would all mess with the little kid. They would make him do a bunch of shit. They'd make him bend over, do a bunch of shit. They'd fondle him. They'd touch him, whatever. And then yeah. finally, they'd just go for the kill. They didn't even go for the kill. They'd grab him up. Most of the time, they would just put him on a hook. So basically, the way or there's some pictures are uh, that they would describe it was in the middle of his... So his bed was... This, this is how you know the dude's a psychopath. His DeRay's bed is in the middle of his room. It's not up against a wall. If you know somebody whose bed is dead in the middle of the room, Run they're away. fucking psychopaths, Run right? Away. So DeRay's bedroom was in the middle of his fucking room and right at his bed, at the, at the feet of the bed, they'd either be a large hook or a rope. So... Depending on the castle, depending if it's a Majaku or if it's Tifuj or you know or whatever one, they would grab. If it's the hook, they would just grab the little kid and just throw him on the hook. And while he's squirming, doing all these things, they would go ahead and then start choking him so he couldn't scream, he couldn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. Duray would then take him off the hook, and like I mentioned, he would cradle him to know it's gonna be okay. The little kid looked at Duray saying like, "Oh, what the fuck?" The little kid's in shock. He's four or five years old. He's looking at Duray. Duray's making him laugh, doing all the shit, and then he'd go in for the kill. So he'd kill the little kid, whether it's by cutting off their heads, cutting open their belly, throwing them on the floor as soon as he would hook, he would do a bunch of shit. So after he would rape and brutalize and do sodomize all, after, after he would do all of this, Duray would then just get up, go into the other side of the room, and change. He would get out, out of his bloody clothes, yeah. he'd change. And he would talk to everybody else in the room like nothing's happening. There's blood everywhere. Some, sometimes he would kill and rape two or three children at a time. And he would only change after he was done. So imagine, he's changing, talking about, oh, so what'd you do today? There's fucking four, three, four little kids dead on the floor. Everything's fucking, there's blood everywhere. Everyone's washing their dick and putting on pants and shit. And then he would go put on his fancy robe. And then he would decapitate all the heads, put them on a mantle. And then he would ask everyone individually, which one do you think is the prettiest one? And then they will all had their say. And then after they would tell him, he would grab the head, gently start combing the head, rubbing the cheeks, gently stroking the face. And he would go on to say, I embraced them and I gave away to contemplating those who had the most beautiful heads and genitals. He would keep the genitals too? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. <laughs> DeRay would then turn to his group of monsters and ask them which head they thought was the most precious. After they all made their choices, he held these up and kissed their cold faces. He would often caress severed limbs while prancing around the room and referring to, and referred to his victims as his dear angels. Showering them with love, he would affectionately tell them, Go. Go pray to God for me. Gil Ray, the former Marshal of France, once his nation's beacon of hope, had now reached the deepest, darkest corners of hell imaginable. Ray had now reached the abyss. But Ray was not alone when he came to his depravity. He commanded a group of evil, his distant cousin, Gil de Sill, was the first to know of and participate in DeRay's cruelty. Roger soon joined in and contributed to the grotesque murders of Chamteau. It's not clear why Roger decided to join in on the violent acts against children, but, uh, 
more than likely, is that Ray tapped into some kind of weird spot in his homosexual bed partner that he might have only expressed in his theory. Plus, he was just trying to get as much out of DeRay. So it made sense the surest way was to join all the depravity that was going on. Both of these men took sick pleasure in engaging with DeRay. They thrived to kill as much as DeRay, but they could control their desire to murder. Unlike DeRay, they were way more cruel than insane. So when DeRay moved from castle to castle, when he went from Tifus, Majiku, and Nantes, his valets, Corilou and Harriet, assisted DeRay in the massacres he was involved in. Both were assumed to be kind of dumb, but Henriette had enough of a brain to formulate the strategy of slicing the victim's throat with a knife. At least five other hirelings who expected to get paid in order to keep DeRay's acts a secret participated as well. No one wanted to ruin the golden mule ticket. No one wanted to upset DeRay. No one wanted to ask why he performed and participated in such cruelties. Wherever he went, DeRay's bedroom or an adjoining chamber became the quote-unquote slaughterhouse. DeRay's suite was used for his orgies in the Shamtu's castle where they formerly stored weapons. At Majikul, the chamber of horrors was found in the portal of the castle. A portal is an opening in a wall of a building. So like, we've all seen it. When you go to church, you know how you, when you go to church on the wall, there's like an extra room with no doors where people could put candles. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's called like a portal. It's like an opening. Yeah, that's called yeah. a portal. And that's where a lot of the times just or fucking DeRay's orgies would happen. After the murders, DeRay would fall into a drunken state of near unconsciousness with the body of the child. He stayed there, laying atop the lifeless body, motionless as everyone around him washed away the blood, pouring onto the floor as well as any other bodily fluid. So DeRay would lay on top of the kid's dead body while everyone around him was trying to sweep and broom away Every, all the juices and blood and brains and guts around DeRay. DeRay would just be laying in the middle of the room and everyone is just... Cleaning up around him. You know how like our parents are when they're fucking sweeping or vacuuming the fucking rug and the dog's sitting there. They just go around the dog and yeah, they don't yeah. do it. That, that was his hirelings with DeRay. At Shemtus, DeSale and Roger would just say fuck it and would toss the small dead innocents into the bottom of a dungeon where they remained undetected. But at most places, the tiny corpses of the victims were burned up in the room where they died. A lot of times when DeRay awoke after one of these horrific murders, he experienced deep, deep remorse. Nah, he did it, piece of shit. He would roam his castles being tormented by the dreadful visions of his victims. He spent desolate hours contemplating his horrible situation. Plagued by the images coming from his inner hell, he would plunge into dementia. The enveloping silence of the dead of night began to terrify him. Sometimes when he was alone and would listen, he could hear the low moans of the dead innocents. Sometimes he would wander out beyond the outer walls of his castles in the cold, damp, early morning hours, crying and mumbling incoherently. He would often fall to his knees and would beg God and his maid of miracles to help him. With trembling hands, he prayed for his own redemption. His eyes would tear as he vowed to amend his evil ways. He would promise on becoming a monk, 
on making pilgrimages to the Holy Land. But all this would pass. His guilt would fade away as soon as the heavy drinking started. By the time night fell, he would have a relapse. In the off days when DeRay or his henchmen could not find a young child to satisfy DeRay, DeRay would sodomize the choir boys under his supervision. He never murdered them after having sex with them. They were his darlings and would never tell on him. He would somehow convince his impulse to kill around them. Maybe he considered them a part of his household. They weren't poor outsiders who DeRay did not have a relationship with. DeRay alone had chosen the choir boys for his chapels. DeRay was passionate about music. He felt God spoke through song. He loved hearing his choir boys burst with joy as they performed during mass. As DeRay's killing spree began, no one dreamt that Lord Gil DeRay would be involved in the cruel disappearance of innocent children. Remember, this was still a time of war. Beggars at the time killed and mutilated little ones. Groups would go to fairs for the specific purpose of seeking out children to slash and murder. After all, DeRay gave assistance to the needy. He often partook of the sacraments at church with his beloved poor and regarded them as extended family. The perception remained that DeRay tried and kept them as safe as he could from the misfortunes of war, which is why many of his warning signs were ignored. It wasn't until the carnage in DeRay's territory started to get kind of ridiculous that the possibility of him being responsible started to be raised. After all, people started noticing that when a child would vanish, DeRay or one of DeRay's noblemen were usually seen not too far away. How many children did he disembowel after deflowering them? Texts of the Times claim somewhere between seven and eight hundred. Why seven though? I feel like seven is just as that's ridiculous of a small. We we talk about more than seven victims already. No, no, between seven and eight hundred. Not between seven, between seven hundred and eight hundred. Oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, first of all, that's a talk- huge gap to cover. It was like it could have been one victim, or it could have been like three million. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Combo boy. But that, but that estimate is inaccurate. And according to writer J.K. Heisman, who says in his book La Base, says that this number is over conservative. Entire regions were devastated. Entire villages near Tifuge had no more young men. At Lesouge, Lesouge was without young males. At Chamtous, the whole foundation room of a tower, a whole room, was filled with corpses. Hold up, man. Let's go back to that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Entire regions were devastated. Tifuge had no more young men. They had no more young men. Uh, it's just young, like young, like young girls, young men, teen girls, probably. Yeah, and then adults. Well, into Gil's killing spree, his younger brother Rene took over the Champdus and a few other castles to prevent him from selling. So disposing of the corpses needed immediate attention. Corliute and Henriette, along with DeRay and two other henchmen, removed the evidence. Corliute and Romlut 
carefully placed the small corpses in sacks and secured them with ropes, then together pulled up the sacks and crammed them into three large chests. And in the dead of night, DeRay watched as his men loaded the bodies onto boats and then returned to the castle, gotten rid of the evidence on the banks of Lord River. So after turning over Shamthus, DeRay, the group, silently headed westward. DeSalle wanted to just simply throw the corpses into the river, but DeRay refused. They made their way to the outskirts of Nantes and placed the chest containing the corpses of children into a horse-drawn cart from Bumpy Ride to Mashikul. During the voyage, the rays became agitated by the way the disposition of the skeletons. In a maniac state, his chest aching and extremities tingling, he was convinced he was dying. Frantically begged God to pity him and eventually his panic attack passed. And after calming down, he ordered a mass to be sung for the children. Soon after, they buried the corpses and scattered the children ashes. So shit's starting to get a little more serious for Duray. His brother, like I mentioned, in, and like we mentioned in the previous episode, Duray was trying to get rid of everything. So the, his family, his young brother Renee and his family pleaded to the king, like, hey, we need to take some of these lands back before he sells everything we have. It just so happens one of the castles that they wanted, that they needed, that they ended up getting back was the castle of Mashikul, which was the castle with all the with the room full of corpses. Dead fucking bodies. The bodies the bodies. So Roger, realizing this gravy train could not last forever, made sure he was not involved in the disposal of the bodies. This is Roger, his cousin. Remember the one he would uh but fuck. I was gonna say sodomize. I was gonna say bully, but okay. That's butt fucking Roger. <laughs> but, it's butt Shut fucked up. Roger. Oh, butt fucked Roger. So Roger, realizing this gravy train cannot last forever, made sure he was not involved in the disposal of the bodies. Sensing the murders would be discovered, he now wanted to distance himself from DeRay and the rest of the group. So he decided he needed to prove he played no part in any of the illegal acts. And one day secretly brought two noble women into the Mashikul castle. During this time, women of rank, like many girls of today, loved looking at fucked up shit and enjoyed observing gruesome spectacles. <laughs> they would spend their days untending hangings and floggings. So Roger, one night, had them peek through a crack in the wall and they watched the whole thing in DeRay's room. Knowing they were watching, Roger pretended to be stupefied and surprised by, was, by what was happening. He told the ladies to say nothing until he looked into the matter. So Roger... Wow, was, he's covering his ass. Roger was seeing in the writings of the walls. He's like, all right, this is getting ridiculous. I need to bounce. He needed to prove he was innocent. So what did he do? He got two chicks to go into the castle. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to be in DeRay's room. Don't peek through the crack that no one's going to be able to see you through because what we're doing there is a secret, okay? Don't peek through that little crack. So he's in the room and they're fucking staring. Obviously, they're not, they're staring to the room or whatever and they see DeRay do all of this. They see everybody do everything. And I could just picture fucking piece of shit Roger putting his hands up, putting like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Let's search the crack. You seeing this? Who are you talking to, Roger? Oh, no one. Roger was never arrested or even tried for the serial killings. 
That sneaky little bastard managed to save himself by reflecting guilt. During the trials, letters were presented that Roger wrote to the king where he stated when the murders occurred. He went on to write DeRay murdered many innocents and he also brought out his family's patriotism and his service to the king during the war for great measure. These correspondences described in detail DeRay's crimes and perversities. While he omitted his role, of course, these letters offer the only evidence supporting the accusations of murder, sodomy, and blasphemy brought upon DeRay by the Holy Court and the Civil Court of Nantes. Unlike punk as Roger, the priest, Blanchet, the one who introduced Perlotti to, to DeRay, he honestly did not know of the murders. But the longer he stayed at Tifuge, the more suspicious he got. Over and over again, he would see children being led to DeRay's room never to be seen again. So looking for a way out, he picked a fight with Roger and pretended to be upset by the confrontation and immediately left Tifuge. He moved to a village inn only a few miles away. But for several weeks, DeRay tried to get Blanchet to return to the castle. It was here that another lodger befriended the priest and when he found out who he was, and he knew DeRay personally, he told Blanchet about the rumors being spread about DeRay. About DeRay having murdered countless children and having written a manuscript about black magic in their blood. That DeRay called upon the devil and to top it off, that DeRay would eat the flesh of the missing children. People trying to book it now. Mm. So people, yeah, so people, we're going to, we're gonna start seeing people gonna be like, oh shit! Like when when his land started getting confiscated, when people started coming around, everyone's like, okay, I gotta. Everyone's like, fuck, 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 fuck. Blanche, I honestly think that he didn't he because he was a he was a priest when he came into Duray's life. He was a priest, and he was never that close to Duray in terms of like in everyday life. He was just a priest that lived in Duray's castle. That whenever Duray wanted something, when he wanted to confess, wanted to get something off his chest, he would go to um, Blanche. Yeah. And all of his castles, all of his fortresses, they all had their own church. So Blanche would always stay in the church. Oh, so that's why you're talking about the choir boys. Gotcha. Dude, his castle, Tifuge, I'm going to post a picture of it on our Instagram at The Weird History Retails Pod, is huge. Dude, it's a fucking... It's incredible. It has eight towers. It has a wall. It's ridiculous. It has like its own streets. It's a huge. When they say a fortress, they mean a fortress. He didn't own a house. He owned a town. And I honestly believe from what I've been reading that Blanchet actually had no idea what was going on. He put two and two together, mm-hmm. but he wasn't there with DeRay to see a and Roger and yeah. Gil DeSille capturing the little children, going out. Fetching them, patting them on the head, paying. He honestly did not know, but he put two and two together. He's like, "Yeah, I gotta bounce." Some of this shit ain't. Some of this shit ain't looking it's right. Like I'm, I'm down for orgies with y'all, but orgies with children. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> So we talked about rumors, right? The majority of northwestern France believed that Deray had taken these children, killed them, and devoured them, and this was talked about openly everywhere. 
and people in his territories began to refer Gilderay as the monstrous blue beard. So when the child snatching uh, got to be a little ridiculous and evidence started mounting point uh, toward DeRay being the culprit, DeRay started to become the boogeyman in many grim stories. Brought up on folklore of well- werewolves, vampires, and hobgoblins. Hobgoblins. Man, damn. The superstition started uh, to accuse DeRay of being an ogre, a cannibal, a devil worshiper, and also a grotesque fiend. He became the mythical Bluebeard. But unlike the fantasies of werewolves and vampires, the stories about DeRay were actually true. Sure, he might have been eating them, but DeRay was a deranged pedophile who tortured, sodomized, and murdered hundreds of children in horrible rituals. And remember, he also called upon the devil to help remake his fortune. For centuries after his death, just the mention of Bluebeard terrified the residents. So people are starting to talk. He started to become a folk tip. People are starting to notice that whenever someone would go missing, whenever a child would go missing, they were either see- last seen with DeRay or DeRay's men or seen going toward DeRay's castles. The hunting of Tifush. And this was at a time where poor, simple folk couldn't talk to nobility. The poor people were a different, they were a second class citizen. They're, they're a different species. So it's not like they were going to, well, they're going to go to the cops and say, oh, the fucking Lord is eat, raping and, cho- and raping and fucking killing my children. And you heard about this? Yeah, the cops are going to slap the shit out of them and fucking rape you. It's like, how dare you talk to me? No one. So people are starting to spread rumors. And just hoping that that, that rumor spread. Well, I don't know. If, well, I don't know if, if they're hoping to spread, but they're starting to realize. But they're starting to realize that hey, this dude is a monster. And like you mentioned, this is around the time when people were really superstitious. Yes. And this is the 1500s. This is when the huge vampire craze hit Europe. And we mentioned it in one of our vampires episodes, episode 19 and 20. If you just want to go check those out. Oh, the plug! The plug. Oh my god! So people were really superstitious, <laughs> and little ki- people started seeing. DeRay is no longer DeRay, but as, like you mentioned, the monstrous bluebeard. The monstrous bluebeard. Bitch. So after leaving, Blanchet vowed he would never return back to the castle of Tifuge. But when DeRay's DeRay's goldsmith, Jean Petit, came to the inn with an order from DeRay to return to the castle, he refused. He still cared enough for DeRay that he told the goldsmith what they were saying about DeRay and had him tell him. DeRay was beyond angry, pissed off when he heard about it. Instead of thanking the goldsmith, he just threw him in the dungeon. DeRay was then pacing back and forth, calling Blanchet a vicious gossip, fertile with idle remarks who would squeal about the murdered children. DeRay didn't know that Blanchet was trying to protect him, but DeRay thinking Blanchet was a risk he was too much of a risk for him to be roaming around so he had a few of his men go beat up Blanchet within an inch of his life and order them to bring Blanchet to him Blanchet knowing the guys who beat him up told them to take him to Mashiku instead where they tossed him into a remote dilapidated house with Francesco Perlati and a few other of the race hires after Majikul, 
Duray then journeyed to Nantes. He hoped to sell his mansion to the rich chapter of clerics at the church there. During this trip, he murdered another 11 children. Duray then traveled to discuss, and, to discuss the transfer and sale of one of his estates with the Duke of Brittany. He was invited to stay at his castle, but Duray decided to stay at the local monastery run by monks where he could come and leave as he pleased. During this stay at the house of monks, not only did Duray try to conjure up the devil, but he also managed to kill another boy. The 10 year old boy's mutilated body and severed head was disposed and his body sinking to the depths of a local latrine, which is an outdoor public toilet. Ah, <laughs> wow. Oh boy. Things didn't stop there. Gil was still at large. He was accompanied by Jean V and he had Henry fetch him three boys for the raid to rape and murder. So when he stopped at Bonnierf and Ray Hurt on his way head. back from Mashakul, he met a 15-year-old boy named Bernard Lecamus. He disappeared out of his rented room. The innkeeper questioned Henriette, who was last seen with the boy, and he responded with the standard response. Lord DeRay had asked the youngster to be his page and accompany him to the Mashakul. Bernard would be one of DeRay's last victims, as he and Henriette killed the child, brought his remains to the castle of Mashakul, and burned the body in DeRay's bedroom. But during this time, during a repentant moment, Gil DeRay confessed his sins to a priest. But this priest couldn't say anything. Dude, DeRay was fucking confessing to priests. How much pressure do you think these priests felt? Am I a man of God or am I a man of God? They can't say shit. But how would you feel? I would have if, if, if Gil DeRay confessed all this shit to you. I'd be like, you're going to hell. I'm good. You can repair as much as you want, motherfucker. Go to hell. I don't know, dude. That's that's seriously. You don't think that's a red flag? You're just <laughs> like, you know what? I'm out. Well, I mean, but that's your, that's, your, that's your mission, though. You know what I mean? You want to encounter these people so you can try and save them or do whatever. Yeah, but at this point, he's fucking lost, bro. I don't, I don't think there's much saving. But, I mean, back in, back in the day, they're just like, oh, well, you killed someone. It's okay. You know, just don't do it again. Pat, pat. And he this- confessed everything. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't just kill. He raped. Oh, you killed like. He tortured. You killed like 500. It's okay. Pat, pat. Duray was like, yeah, I killed yeah, and I killed children. And the priest was like, oh, you know what? Well, you shouldn't do that. Give me, give me one holy father. And he's like, I, I raped three two. He's like, he's like, I raped them too. He's like, all right, well, I had two virgin, two virgin Marys. I liked it. And I jacked off in their faces. He's like, all right, well, just add a creed. And then so Duray would keep going. He's like, so by the time he's like, all right, you know, just read the Bible four times and you, you should be good. Memorize the Bible. So how did such a multifaceted person such as Duray become the psychopath that he came to be how did one person who came from such prominence and nobility become the disgusting child raping mutilating serial killer george Bataille, a french intellectual and literary figure who thought dre wanted to kill just to kill stated this this fatal need to kill to kill without reason which no words could clarify which had possessed him as a gallop possesses an oversighted horse. 
It was not important to the guilty party to learn or reveal the origin of his crimes. These crimes had been what he himself inherently was, what he deeply, tragically, so much so that he thought of nothing else. Wyndham Lewis, an English writer, painter, and critic, felt Duray was possessed by the devil. That is to say, the Marshall's little victims were not cruelly butchered for the mere sake of shedding blood. They were made to serve their executioner's pleasure in many ingenious ways, such as could be derived only by a man literally possessed by the devil. DeRay later revealed something about his own state of mind during one of his out-of-court confessions. In great pain and in a voice that was set to cut deep and right into the souls of those present. He admitted that no one on earth could fathom how he suffered. How he suffered from a mysterious curse that forced him to commit such acts of brutality. He did not know why he should be punished. Valerie Ogden, author of Bluebeard, Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath, which was, which was this series' backbone when it came to sources, had this to say about Gil DeRay. Here was a man who accomplished great feats, a man of heart-rending complexity, a hero haunted by flashbacks who, like so many present-day warriors, became mentally unbalanced after their comrade was killed. This fabulously wealthy French aristocrat, this marshal of France, this celebrated warrior, this renaissance man shocked his country with his extreme depravity, his pedophilia, and his necrophilia. His narcissism all led to his violent end. Joan of Arc's death playing a major part in the race mental collapse. When he could not save her, his world fell apart. He began to exhibit wild mood fluctuations, far more extreme than those he manifested in his youth, with his fits of dark despondency. At times, he believed the universe existed for his pleasure, that he was invincible, in control. He tested fate to its limits. He feared for his safety. His unstable mental condition triggered his covert psychopathy, which resulted in sadistic serial murders. There are no tidy solutions. All that can be said about Gil Ray is that his thirst for unspeakable violence became insatiable after leaving the military. His delight in cruelty was not restricted to the perverse acts of his youth. Spurred on by his drinking partners, he now enjoyed inflicting intense pain and shedding blood which aroused him. He preyed upon the most vulnerable, a trait common to many serial killers. The slaughter of children intertwined with his pedophilia developed into an obsession, similar to Corlute's deposition before the canonical court of Nantes. Gil's manservant, Henry A., would remark that he repeatedly heard DeRay say that he was born under such a star that, in his view, nobody could know or understand the anomalies or illicit acts of which he was guilty of. Broken psychologically, this fallen warrior had nothing more to lose when he committed his crimes.
And so it's Sunday morning, 1440, around 1030 in the morning. The entire population of St. Etienne Mengur? It's, it's Etienne Mechmor. Etienne? Etienne Mechmorte was celebrating. No, Mechmort. Mech Mechmort? You're forgetting the Mach. It's Etienne Mechmort. It's a Morphlem. Etienne was celebrating High Mass. Communion was already over, Mass almost completed, when suddenly the huge oak door of the torch was flung open. The congregation heard the sound of armed men entering. Then they caught sight of Gil de Rey, the former Marshal of France, brandishing his double-sided axe as he barged in and came straight toward Jean Lefour Rouen, who was assisting with Mass. The Baron screamed, Rascal! You have beaten and robbed my men. Get out of the church so I can kill you dead. He demanded Lefouron to leave the church. Four heavily armed guards, including Gil de Sil, attempted to calm de Ray, but he paid no attention. An even louder voice de Ray threatened to decapitate Lefouron when he did not leave the church. Lefouron finally agreed to step out of the church when de Ray grabbed him by the neck, then hauled him back to the castle at St. Etienne. St. Etienne. Mechmort. Mechmort. Man, that's a freaking mouthful. Where at sword point, de Ray ordered Lefaron to lower the, the, the drawbridge and hand over the keys to the castle. Then de Ray dumped Lefaron and another attendant of the Duke of Brittany into the castle's dungeon. So this is where we finally see DeRay's huge fuck up. This is Made how a public scene. This is how DeRay fucks everything up for him and everybody else involved. Just for his ego. Remember so we remember for the longest time since he was a youth and because of his grandfather, DeRay was taught that he was above the laws of France. This is top down. And he believed it so that he went inside the church and told Lefaron to get the fuck out of the church. But why did he tell Lefaron to get out of the church? So the reason for all of this was that DeRay had sold the castle and everyone who lived on the property to Geoffrey Lefaron, the brother of Jean Lefaron. After everything was signed over, DeRay found out that Geoffrey had only acted as the middleman of the sale. DeRay actually sold the property to the Duke of Brittany. Dre thought he was ripped off, so in all his anger and frustration, he decided to retaliate and kick and kick John V's, the Duke's representatives, out of the castle and reclaim it so that he could resell it. But Jeffrey wasn't stupid. He figured Dre would pull something off like this, so he brought in a lawsuit before all of this that Dre could not be permitted under any circumstances to reestablish ownership of the property. Dre fucked himself. Not only did he take the castle by force, but by bursting into a holy place of worship and drawing a weapon, he got himself a capital offense. And if that wasn't bad enough, the fact that he was so hostile toward John Lefaron, who was considered a Christian clerk, demonstrated his intent on killing a representative of the church. On top of all of this, he disregarded clerical immunity when he threw Lefaron into a dungeon. So not only did DeRay royally fuck himself with that whole mess, but he also committed three offenses to the Duke. 
The first one being the Duke and the King of France had recently issued a joint order that one can't use military force without permission from the Crown or the Duke of France. DeRay did not get the Duke's permission to lead his armed men into the church. 2. DeRay manhandled two of the Duke's subjects, Lefferon and the official he had sent to stop DeRay from getting his castle. And the third one, DeRay took over the castle by force when he imprisoned two men. So DeRay broke a shitload of laws just because he was so mad that he was swindled out of his castle. DeRay royally fucked himself and retribution came quickly. Jean V called for the immediate release of the prisoners and for the restoration of ownership of the castle. DeRay was fined 50,000 crowns for his insubordination. But DeRay was like, suck my dick from the back and sent the prisoners to his Majikul prison. He then told his men that anybody that was sent to collect the fine was to be beaten and then shoved off the drawbridge. <laughs> when the Duke learned of this, he sent off half a brigade to recapture the castle and arrest DeRay. But before the soldiers arrived, DeRay said fuck this and fled to Majikul, out of John V's territory. The Duke then declared Gil DeRay a rebel and Jean spoke to the king about dispatching a military force to Tifuge. The king agreed and sent Arthur de Richemont, the duke's brother, to lead the small force. Dude, DeRay fucked himself. <laughs> he shot himself in the fuck foot. Fucked all over a stupid ass deal. He has sold the castle that we cannot <laughs> pronounce. Etienne Mehmerto Mehmorte. I feel like I, I have I'd have I'd have an easiest time saying Cthulhu. It's like Cthulhu named this fucking <laughs> castle. But DeRay sold this castle to Joff, to Joffrey the Pharaon. Uh-huh. Joffrey the Pharaon wasn't the one buying it. It was the Duke who bought the castle a lot cheaper through Joffrey than he would if he went straight up for him. DeRay found out, he's like, you motherfucker. You bought my castle a lot cheaper than I would have sold it. So he was mad. So he's like, fuck this, I'm taking my castle. And when he stormed into the church, he knew that Jeffrey's younger brother, Jean Lafaron, was in that fucking church. Mm. So Jean Lafaron had the one, he had the keys to the castle. So he barged in, barged in, took his ass, took the castle, threw him in the dungeon. By doing all of that, he broke so many fucking rules. He became a rebel. He was fined 50,000 crowns. Just fucking ridiculous. And they had no choice but to send military force to get Doray. Then we find out more. And this is it. Arthur and Gil Doray were not strangers. Years earlier, Arthur had taken notice of DeRay because of his seriousness, determination, and military acumen. He became an admirer of a young DeRay. Later, he rode into battle with DeRay and Joan of Arc. But now, he was a confidant of the king and fast approaching the castle of Tifuge, ready to capture the once revered warrior, Gil DeRay. The instant DeRay got a good look at Arthur and the large force behind him, he set the captives free. <laughs> And promised to pay the fine as soon as he could. DeRay embraced Arthur affectionately before he left. He hit him with the I owe you, son. 
Duray was wow. like, Duray was like, fuck you. And then he saw Arthur roll up with his whole squad. And he's like, oh, fuck. He's like, I remember that squad. Looks behind him and is like, yeah, this ain't worth it. Hey, uh, sorry, bro. Here, here's your homies. Um, and I'll, I'll get, I'll I'll get that much. I'll get that money uh, later. So he let Jean Leferon and the other guy he captured free. So DeRay, thinking he was in the clear now, he went to go visit Jean V, the Duke. But before the journey, DeRay discussed the trip with Perlati, the Satanist that helped DeRay speak with the devil. DeRay feared for his life and asked Perlati to consult with the devil to find out if this excursion might be dangerous for him. After a little while, Francesco told DeRay that he was cool, that he was in the clear, and that the voyage was going to be a bit boring, if he was to be honest. Perlati told DeRay how the erotic Baron dressed in the flimsy violet silk robe, had assured him the voyage would be uneventful. DeRay, completely oblivious to what was going on around him, he continued his drunken acts. He didn't realize that his followers had begun to talk about his secrets, that many of his most trusted accomplices, Gilditzel, who shortly after this disappeared, never to be seen again, and his cousin, and his cousin Roger had robbed him of a small fortune and just dipped. They left. After DeRay left for his voyage, Perlotti saw the writings on the wall, but not thinking clearly and leaving for Italy. He rented a room which he shared with Blanchet in one of the poorer quarters of Manchacool. He thought no one was clever enough to discover him there. So while all of this was going on, the Bishop of Nantes had started to ask around and started an official investigation throughout his district. He wanted to find out if there was any truth to the rumors and complaints about DeRay and his shocking behavior. He thought these rumors must be no more than just dumb jealous gossip from the, super, from the superstitious masses. But it wasn't until the nephew of a high-ranking prior disappeared from DeRay's household that he started to have second thoughts. At this point, all of the allegations were just that. Allegations. And considering DeRay was, such a high rank, was of such a high rank, he needed sufficient direct proof. And thanks to the whole debacle against the church of Mechmorte, the bishop was able to conduct a more thorough investigation of DeRay. Church law stated that he had to only travel to areas where there were claims that a crime had been committed. With his officials at his side, the bishop listened in horror to the people who came forward wanting to testify. There were grieving peasants whose priests vouched for their character. Weeping laborers, toothless grandfathers and grandmothers. They all told the same gut-wrenching accounts of losing their children and pointed to DeRay as the culprit. Then the attention also focused on DeRay's henchmen. When a child disappeared, one of DeRay's staff was always lurking nearby. The investigation compiled more than enough evidence to make out a case against Gil DeRay. Just a month after the whole church debacle, did the, issue, did the bishop issue a formal indictment, a declaration of infamy against DeRay. The bishop alleged that Gil DeRay first took advantage of and then killed a number of children. We have become convinced that the nobleman Gil DeRay with certain accomplices did cut the throats, kill, and heinously massacred these children in a natural lust and the vice of sodomy. The dreadful invocation of demons did sacrifice to and make pacts with the latter, 
and did perpetrate other enormous crimes within the limits of our jurisdictions, said this indictment. So after this declaration, Jean V, the Duke, immediately started his own inquiry and after interviewing witnesses from all over, after hearing the dreadful accounts regarding Gil de Rey, similar to those the bishop had collected, the evidence from both the bishop and the duke's inquiries became kind of ridiculous. The duke requested the prosecution of de Rey be in civil court. Certain other crimes and a guilty verdict, John V signed an order that took all of de Rey's lands away from him weeks before any formal proceedings began. So DeRay, he's done. He fucked up. So because he was able to bullshit, so right. So DeRay was high. He was a huge. He was the marshal of France. Right. He had a huge rank. You just can't start investigating people for the fuck of investigating people. Like I think, no, no, no. People were spreading all these rumors, but like I mentioned earlier, they were like, it just sounds like it's just superstitious jealousy coming from all these poor people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, poor people are gonna be talking, talking shit. But after DeRay was able to fuck around and do all this bullshit at the church of Mahmoud Porte, the church is like, you know what? He's acting kind of, he's not right. So they started investigating, thinking they were just going to find some dumb bullshit. Yeah. But they started finding out all the shit DeRay was doing with all these children. All these rumors actually started to come out as they, as maybe facts. Mm. So after the Bishop of Nantes, after the church, compiled all of these confessions they handed it over to the duke jean v the duke was like wait what the fuck i've been hearing the same shit about dre let me start my own investigation and he found out the exact same shit so now so now he had these two big ass vanilla folders one from the church and one from the state saying fuck DeRay has been doing all this shit, so he put out an indictment for DeRay. He put out like a warrant, basically a warrant for his arrest, saying yeah. we gotta go arrest Gil DeRay. Now that we have enough evidence to arrest someone that of that such high rank. Piece of shit fucked up. It's all good though. On September 14th of 1440, with a heavily armed troop sent to Montague. The captain carried a warrant for the imprisonment of Gil de Rey and his main accomplices, Gil de Sills and Roger de Brickville. Along with the captain, a notary of the Catholic Church accompanied the Duke's men as a second indictment that was made by the clergy. The group arrived at the drawbridge and Montague near daybreak. The captain ordered a trumpet to sound and the porter to shout that, Baron Gil de Rey must give the Duke's men access to the castle. The past Marshal of France de Rey was under arrest. The ecclesiastical and civil courts called for his lordship to answer any wrongdoings in knots. A long silence ensued. No one dared to move. No one knew what to expect. The captain had the trumpeteer blow again and again nothing. So after a few more minutes, the trumpet sounded forcefully a third time. Then after what seemed forever, the heavy wooden castle gate opened very slowly. The Duke's soldiers stood battle ready, but did not advance. Without warning, de Rey even appeared. He was alone, dressed in a long gold fuchsia robe. Ooh, 
He fancy. Ooh. He led the group inside and laughed about his predicament until they served him with a summons. Explaining the seriousness of the situation, DeRay suddenly became serious. So DeRay was dead asleep when everyone showed up. And DeRay, remember, like I told you, like we mentioned over and over again, I mentioned earlier too, DeRay was, he believed he was above the laws of France. He believed he was above the law. So when they came in, he's like, dude, what the hell y'all doing? Remember, he thought, he thought everything was done. He shook hands with Arthur. He's like, dude, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I freed them. I'm going to pay your money. Why are you guys still here? He didn't see the seriousness of it until they showed him the summons. And that's when DeRay, like you mentioned, suddenly became serious. So DeRay was fucked. And he knew it. He knew if he resisted the arrest, he'd look guilty. And if he just fled the country, he would be free. But all his money and all of his assets would be confiscated. So his only choice was to submit to the authorities. Dre figured that the trial would mostly be involved around the accusations of heresy and sacrilege and figured he could make amends without losing his freedom or ruining his reputation. He let the men search his castle and castle grounds. Sure they would find sure that they would find nothing. But a bloody shirt and the carbonized remains of one of Dre's last victims were found in a nearby dwelling used by servants. They finally got him. DeRay, as well as Corilou and Henriet, were arrested and transported to Nantes. Scared shitless, Henriet considered killing himself, that fucking coward. Nantes, together with the surrounding villages, vibrated with the news of DeRay's arrest. People lined the roadways, watching his awe as Gil DeRay, Baron DeRay, Lord of Laval, Marshal of France, Lieutenant of Brittany, the companion of Joan of Arc and the friend of the king, was marched into town in chains. Duray was locked up in a well-lit, comfortable chamber suited with all the privileges according to his rank. Henry and Corilou, on the other hand, they were thrown into some shitty cells full of rats, bedbugs, and shit. Within days, other accomplices were arrested and thrown into the same jail. DeRay fucked himself. He was cocky. He got sloppy. And he found the shirt what? and the carbonized. He could thank his uncle for that. He taught him that he was above the law. You no, give no fucks, alright? You give no fucks. And look at all the titles he had. It's, I'm surprised that because of those titles, he still has special privileges he in does. prison. He does. Like, That's like, crazy. Yeah. I mean, like even to this day, like if you're a celebrity, That's true. you know what I mean? That's true. Like, like look, look what's happening with Six Nine right now. That dude, he confessed right now. I think he confessed to nine accounts of whatever the fuck he was doing. Yeah. So he's facing a minimum of like 47 years, but he's snitching on people because he was facing life. But he was saying, if you if you if you snitch on these people, then you get. Yeah, well, he was facing life, and he started to snitch on people. And it went down to forty-seven. It went down to forty-seven, and and that's the so far the people he snitched on, the people he's pointing out to, they lowered his sentence from being life to forty-seven years. He's twenty-two years old, so people are like, he's twenty-two, he's he's gonna be in jail for forty-seven. He's gonna come out when he's sixty-nine years old. 
Wow. <laughs> the quinket ink in that. Fucking people are like, the prosecutors are just fucking with him at this point. <laughs> so, Gil Duray trials were shocking and sensational. Two courts of justice presided in judgment over the former Marshal of France. The church's court was headed by two men. Jean, the bishop who started the first inquisition, and Jean Blion? Blion. Blion. Jean Blion, a counsel to the duke. The charges for DeRay arrest fell primarily within the jurisdiction of this court. The tribunal convened so as to make a judgment regarding the invocation of demons, sorcery, and sodomy performed by Gil DeRay and to study the affair of Saint Day. Come on, you can't say it. Etienne de Mergmorte. That's right, bitch. <laughs> for violations against the church. And so begin the trials of Gil. Ray. Got him, coach. Got him. We got, got him. him. Got that son of a bitch. And we're, and we're going to find out next episode, next week, because we are uploading these week to week to finish off these fucking series, to finally get DeRay out of my fucking life. <laughs> we're going to find out that DeRay still thinks he's going to be able to get away. He's going to bluff his way out of it. He thought he was going to be able to pull rank because he... Bluffer, because he thinks he's above the law. Well, he he's assuming. I mean, spoiler alert, but he's assuming they're there to get him for the crimes he did at the castle. They, they don't know. He doesn't know that they have all of these accounts of the fucking raping children, yeah. the rape and sodom, sodomy and so, torture. Of so children. he thought that it's just like for him. Ravaging into the church, trying to get that. Yeah, he I thinks like, like, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll be able to pull rank. I was like, oh, pff, that's right. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Wow. Little did he know. He's, we're all going to find out. Little did he know. The surprise that DeRay's going to, the, the surprise that DeRay's going to get of his lifetime when he finds out, oh, shit, this is a lot more serious than I fucking thought. Ha! This episode was horrible. At least it, TBH, I want to look at the bright side. At least we end on a good note when the fucker gets caught. I mean, yes, but I, I fucking spent a whole week fucking oh, yeah. doing with nothing but reading on with raping child murder. Dude, that was horrible. You want to go to therapy? Horrible. I'll go to therapy. This is horrible. So thank you guys for listening and for joining Spec- Especially you made it this far. Dude, the first two episodes, I'm not going to lie, they were kind of hard. I tried to make them as interesting as I possibly could have. But in order for me, in order for this episode to hit you as hard as it could, I kind of had to give you the kind of life that Ray had. Like, it, it would have been easy for us to do a two-episode two series and be like... him being shitty? Yeah, Gil DeRay. Oh, he grew up with a shitty grandfather, then he went to war. Okay. And then he started killing children. You'd be like, okay, he's just a piece of shit. But for you to actually tell... To, for, for you to actually see the rise and fall of Gil DeRay, this hits you a lot harder yeah. than it would have if I would have just been like, oh, it's two-episode series. One episode is going to be about his war and all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was a little longer. But thank you guys for sticking with us. When you have one more episode, it's going to be next week before we start doing our regular other bullshit. Also, everything else is just bullshit? Everything all right. else is bullshit. After the Ray, like the bar was set real high. For with the Ray with the series, but I also want to thank you guys for um 
for sticking through me being all nasally this whole episode. For whatever reason, it hasn't rained in for it hasn't rained in weeks. And then on fucking Thursday, and then on fucking Thursday, it randomly started raining, and I had I was at work, I had no coat or anything, so I just got drenched. You got wet. So I got wet. So now I'm going over the hill. We're recording this Sunday morning. I got wet Thursday. I was guy got sick Friday, and yesterday I had no voice. I was just dripping from my nose. I'm like, fuck. Hopefully, hopefully I'm able to record. So all, all day yesterday, I just kept drinking NyQuil. I was sipping 30 milliliters of NyQuil every hour and a half, every two hours. I was like, fuck this. If I, either I'm going to kill this flu or I'm going to kill myself. But something's going to die. <laughs> something's going to die. Can you, can you attest to this, Josh? I was in my room the whole time just fucking dying. Oh, I was, actually, I was back here. But thank you guys so much. We have one more episode. It's going to be the Trials of Gilderay. We're sorry for all the rape and murder of children that my brother... Describe that my brother <laughs> described. <laughs> we described. Point a finger. Okay. We it was all Josh. It was Josh's no, idea. No. So I sign up for this. If you guys don't have anything else to add, we're gonna end this episode. And as always, we are the Weird History Eretels Pod.